0: Good morning, everyone. I hope that we're all maybe a little bit more rested this morning with an extra hour of sleep. Maybe, maybe not. My dogs woke me up at 5 a.m. this morning. So, you know, that's how my morning went. I went promptly back to sleep and I'm sure was snoring within like five seconds of laying back down. But... I'm really thankful that we get the opportunity to gather this morning. I'm really thankful for each and every one of you that we get to come together, we get to worship, we get to share time in the Word this morning. And uh, today we're going to be continuing in our series on the Gospel of Mark. And I don't know if you've heard me or not say this before, but Christianity, the, the religion that we believe in on paper, is a bit nonsensical. I don't know if you've ever heard me say that before. It's kind of ridiculous when we look at some of the things that we we say we believe as Christians. We, we believe that God sent his son to be born of a, a virgin and that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. We believe that this Jesus did miracles, including raising people from the dead like we explored last week. We believe that he was crucified and that he was miraculously raised from the dead, himself paying the price for our sins through his death and resurrection. And we also believe that he ascended into heaven after appearing to over 500 people after his resurrection and that that he will return again to judge the living and the dead. Now, these are some crazy things about Christianity, but they're at the core of what we believe. See, Christianity isn't about right and wrong. It's not about doing the right things as opposed to not doing the wrong things, as some may suppose. Rather, Christianity is about God pouring out his grace upon us through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus the Christ. That's what Christianity is all about. God the Father sending God the Son so that we might experience his love through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the good news is he doesn't just go away. Then he gives us the deposit of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sins, to lead us into all truth. This is the good news of the gospel. But as we look at this, and as we talk about some of these things, we can realize that while this is good news for us, we can also see that it can be a stumbling block for many. That these things that we say that we believe can maybe be difficult for some people to believe in such things like a resurrection from the dead or a virgin birth or or people being able to do miracles or a guy being able to ascend into heaven. These things may seem a little nonsensical to certain people. And this morning we're going to kind of dive into that idea a little bit. I want us to dive into this idea of the stumbling blocks a bit more because in our lives there are stumbling blocks. Uh, According to a Pew research, 60% of people who claim nothing in particular or none as their religion cite questioning a lot of religious teaching as a major reason why they ended up in that none category. So it means 60% of people claiming nothing in particular as their religion, the way that they got there is because they started questioning religious teaching. Some of them may have grown up in the church, others may have not grown up in the church, but at the end of the day, they ended up questioning these basic tenets of uh, religious teaching. And if we dive into that a little bit, we can realize that while people may have these stumbling blocks that get in the way of saving faith in Jesus, that doesn't mean that all hope is lost. It doesn't mean that all hope is lost because some people have stumbling blocks. It's also not something that's unique to our postmodern culture. It's not a unique thing that all of a sudden, 2,000 years after Jesus' life, they're like, oh, I can't believe in all of these things, because people, even in the first century, struggled to believe these things. Jesus' own disciple, Thomas, struggled to believe in the resurrected Christ himself. And so this morning, we're going to dive into a passage of Scripture in Mark 6, where we're going to explore this idea of stumbling blocks a bit more. Let's go ahead and read that. Mark 6, verse, six verses 1 through 6. It says this, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. <clears throat> when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you've dove into scripture a lot, but if you're taking notes, if you're paying attention, you'll remember that this is Jesus' second trip to his hometown of Nazareth. And Jesus' his first trip to Nazareth didn't necessarily go that well. If we go back and look at Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus in the synagogue preaching immediately after he had been taken into the wilderness been tempted by satan himself and he goes into the synagogue in his hometown immediately after that and he's handed the scroll of isaiah and he reads from it saying that the spirit of the lord god is upon me he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captive and the year of the lord's favor and the people obviously take that really well right well, no, they don't. In fact, they take it so badly that they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. Like, you're, you've had some bad days in your life, but has anyone tried to throw you off a cliff? No. Now, I've been hit upside the head with an umbrella, um, but never been tried to thrown off a cliff or out a window or anything like that. Jesus was having a little bit of a bad day. See, what's interesting is That first encounter in Nazareth, Jesus hadn't done anything really. He's immediately coming out of the wilderness and he's just saying that, hey, this is happening. This thing that we've been hoping for, this Messiah that you've been hoping for, this is fulfilled today. He hadn't done any miracles yet, and so this second coming home is a little bit different. He's come and he's already been doing some miracles, some news has spread about this Jesus who's doing these things. And, well, at least the second time they didn't try to throw him off a cliff, so at least there was some sort of progress, maybe? Like something happened uh, then. But ultimately what we look at when we see this passage of scripture is we see people who could not get over their own understanding of who Jesus was supposed to be. They couldn't get over their own understanding of who this Jesus was. See, what they should have been doing is they should have been praising God for the gift of Jesus. They should have been enthralled in worship that God would raise up the Messiah, the Christ, from these people of Nazareth, where where people would say, can anything good come of Nazareth? Yes, this Jesus who is one of you, who is just like you, has been raised up for the salvation of the world, to take away the sins of the world. But instead of doing that, Instead of praising God, instead of extolling God, the people are stuck in their own heads. They're asking questions like, where did this man get these things? Where's this wisdom that he's been given? What are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the dude that makes tables? Isn't this Mary's son? Like, aren't his brothers and sisters here among us Jesus? Like, we know this Jesus. Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the one that's come. See, the people were so stuck in their own head. They were stuck in their own understanding. They couldn't get past it. They had encountered some stumbling blocks. They encountered these things that they couldn't get over. And Jesus here is amazed at their lack of faith. He's amazed at their lack of faith. See, it should have been good news for the people of Nazareth. It should have been good news that God had raised up a Messiah from among them. That he would visit this people and raise up a Messiah from among their own kinship. And this is actually a core doctrine of Christianity, that Jesus was fully man and fully God, that he came and he was like us in the flesh in order to be able to fully take away our sins by offering himself as an appeasement to the wrath of God. And the people should have been excited about this, that this Jesus came from among their people, but yet they couldn't get over it. This Jesus? Mary's son? Mary's son? The carpenter, his sisters are sitting right over there. How can this Jesus be the one? How can he be the Messiah? They had encountered a stumbling block. Athanasius writes in the fourth century that Jesus has been manifested in a human body for this reason only, out of the love and goodness of his father for the salvation of us men. Jesus came for our salvation because God loved us so much. He sent his son so that we might live. The people should have experienced this. They should have known that this Jesus had come for them, and yet they couldn't get over it. Jesus, the eternal word of God, being God himself, became incarnate for the salvation of these people, and yet they scoffed. They mock, they, they turn against him. See, what Jesus came to do is he, he did all of this. He did all of this to live a life that we could not live and get a death that we deserved in order to bring a salvation that not only takes away the sting of death, but makes us children of God. Jesus came to do all of this, to show his great love for us, to take away the sins of the world and make us children of God. The people should have praised God. They should have praised God knowing that he had chosen this Jesus to come and dwell among them, but they couldn't get over their stumbling block. And what this meant for the people is it meant that only a couple of them received the touch from God that they needed. It means that only a couple of them were able to encounter this Jesus in his fullness, to encounter the power of God. See, Jesus was only able to heal those who had come to him believing in his power. Everyone else was there scoffing, And yet a few people encountered Jesus at his word. Saying, yes, this may be Mary's son. Yes, his brothers and sisters may be here with us. Yes, I may have bought a table from this Jesus, but I know that I've heard the stories of what he can do. I've heard the stories of what he can do. Could it be true? Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one that frees me from oppression? Could he be the one that provides for my healing? I don't know the answer, but I'm going to go and see. And those people that approached Jesus like that received Now, I want to be clear that this passage isn't primarily about healing, nor am I saying that the reason that people aren't healed is because of a lack of faith. What I am saying, though, is that faith is an essential component of recognizing who Jesus is. Faith is an essential component of recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God. It requires faith in order to put him in his proper place. This is also a core doctrine of the Christian faith, that we are justified by grace through faith. Faith is an important part of this life in Christ. And those who place their faith in Jesus Christ are saved and resurrected into eternal life. Those who place their faith in this Jesus, declaring him Lord, are resurrected into eternal life. But the opposite side of that are those who don't, are damned and are resurrected into eternal death. This is the reality of sending of Jesus. This is the reality of this Jesus. And here we have these people, the majority of them who are left scoffing, the majority of them staying in their unbelief, the majority of them not being able to see that this Jesus had come to visit them so that they might be freed from their oppression. So they, they might be freed from sin. So they might be freed from the pain of death. And yet a few of them, a few of them approach Jesus in humility. A few of them approach Jesus in faith and they receive a healing. They receive what it is they need to be made whole before God. And here's a, a great reality for us is that God invites all of us to trust in him for salvation. It's a universal call where God makes himself known and that we can trust in this Jesus for salvation. But in order to be saved, we must respond in faith. In order to be saved, we must respond in faith and make Jesus the Lord of our lives. It requires a response to who he is. I want to bring us back to that statistic that I shared in my introduction that 60% of nuns question a lot of religious teaching. Now that may not be that surprising to us of the main reason why they ended up where they're at of being able to question some religious teaching as a core essential there. But it's not just people who are outside of the church. It's not just people who who claim none that struggle with religious teaching. In fact, uh, Barna cites that 66% of Christians have struggled with doubt at some point, and that at any given time, 25% of Christians are actively experiencing doubt. These stumbling blocks are something that are active both inside the church and outside of the church. And what this tells us is that people all around us are experiencing these stumbling blocks. People all around us are experiencing stumbling blocks, and some of them, they will persevere, they will work through these stumbling blocks, they will grow in their faith, and they will come out with a deeper and stronger love for Jesus. Others, sadly, will will wrestle, and they'll wrestle, and they'll wrestle, and eventually they'll abandon the faith they previously held. Others, may never quite come to faith they may never be able to to get to that finish line uh, of seeing faith and as we've already seen the stumbling blocks of people in jesus's hometown were enough to keep them from accepting them stumbling blocks aren't, aren't something that we should just cast off to the side. They're not something that we should just talk about in a hush-hush tone or, or in whispers or that we have some doubts or or that we have struggles with certain things or that some people may, may struggle with this or they question these things. It's not something that we should brush off to the side. It's not something that we should brush off to the side. It's something that we should embrace. It's something that we should embrace. If we know that people have stumbling blocks, if we know that people have doubts, then maybe we should be open about. Maybe we should be honest about that. If 60% of religious nuns claim that questioning religious teaching has something to do with them being in that category of holding no religion in particular, and 66% of Christians at some point have struggled with doubt, maybe we should start talking about these things. Yeah. And so what I want to do is I want to give us four things this morning of what we should do with this information about Stumbling blocks. Number one is this, we should talk and work through our own stumbling blocks. We should work through our own stumbling blocks. We should never feel like we need to hide from our doubts. It shouldn't be something that we like, oh, can't talk about that one. What will they think if they know I have this doubt? What will they think if they know I'm struggling with this? If they know I question this, what will other people think? On the flip side of that, I think some people are so afraid to explore their doubts because they don't know what they're going to find. They fear what they're going to find, and so they they suppress this doubt. They suppress these stumbling blocks. And and you're like, hey, man, is there anything you, you struggle with in the Christian faith? They're like, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. I got this thing figured out. Like, I got it 100%. I got it on lock. There's nothing that I struggle with at all in the Christian faith. And it's out of a fear of really exploring some of those doubts that they maybe do hold. They're scared of what they will find. But but I want to give you this. I promise you that you're not the first person that's ever doubted. You're not the first person that's ever doubted with the specific doubt that you may have. And in fact, people that have gone through that have come out the other side much stronger. They've produced resources. They've given us all of these things so that we can learn and explore and see that our faith can rest on solid ground. Our faith can rest on solid ground. You see, the worst thing that any of us can do with doubt is to internalize it. The worst thing that we can do is to internalize it. Because if we do that, what if we we learned through some parables of Jesus in the last month or so that seeds grow. That no matter what type of seed it is, it's going to grow. And so if we have a a seed of doubt within us and we don't talk about it, we don't allow ourselves to explore it, if we don't talk to other Christians about it, it's going to grow. It's going to to well up inside of us. And this is where we should realize that we don't live in this, this Christianity that we have to have everything put together. We don't have to process alone. Instead, we have the church, the body of Christ that exists to walk alongside of us. We exist to walk alongside one another so that we all might attain unity and maturity in Christ. That's why the body of Christ exists. Number two is this, we should practice spiritual disciplines. And we talked about this pretty recently as well. Faith is not a one-time act. It's not a one-time act. It's a lifetime of surrender unto Jesus. See, we feed our faith when we spend time with God through the spiritual disciplines, like spending time in his word, like prayer, like silence, like gathering with the saints. We are able to grow in God and feed our faith when we do these things. On the flip side, if we don't do those things, we're likely to find ourselves in a place where we feel apathetic, where we feel like we're not growing, where we feel like this Christian life isn't maybe for me. Maybe there are some things that I'm struggling with that I don't want to explore and that pushes me away from doing these elementary things where if I would do these elementary things, maybe I would begin to experience God in a new way. Maybe I would realize that that God is true. Maybe I would realize that the things that that he's told me are trustworthy. See, one of the things that the enemy does is he allows or he uses our apathy against us when we're not spending time with the Lord, when we see ourselves as far from God, that's when he comes in. That's when he comes in and starts to to sow that doubt, where he starts to sow those stumbling blocks within us. And we're like, hey, do you really believe that? Isn't it ridiculous that Jesus was born of a virgin? Do you really believe that this dude was dead and was resurrected back to life? Do you really believe that he ascended into heaven? That's when the enemy will start sowing those things inside of us is when we are apathetic to the things of God. See, we must build ourselves up through spiritual disciplines so that we might be strong in the Lord. As we grow in God, it becomes easier that when those things come, and they will come, when those doubts come, when those stumbling blocks come, it becomes easier to be like, okay, I can explore that. I can take that to God. I can tell him that I'm struggling with that. I can talk to my brothers and sisters in Christ about these things because I know that I shouldn't be afraid of these things that come up. I know that this God that I love and that I trust and that has done great things in my life, I know that he is true. I may be struggling with something at this present moment, but I know that he is good. I know that my life has been changed because of this Jesus, and I know that I can explore any of these things because I've built myself up in Christ. Number three is this. We should have more spiritual conversations with believers and non-believers. If we see the statistics that both Christians and non-Christians struggle with religious teaching, it should be self-evident that we need to be having more spiritual conversations. Do you want to let us in on this little bit of of truth? When we talk about God with others, when we have these spiritual conversations, we actually stir up a desire within us for deeper study and discovery. As we have these conversations, it, it awakens something within us that makes us want to dive in more. Because I don't know about you guys, if there's been something that that someone's passionate about and they're talking and it it kind of like, okay, I kind of like that thing. Immediately after that, I go in and I, I research more. Maybe that's because I'm a nerd, but at least for me, once I'm having conversations and something awakens, I'm like, okay, I like this person, I I like what they're talking about, this thing interests me, I want to be more knowledgeable about this so that the next time that we talk, I have more to say. Something gets stirred up inside of us when we begin to have these spiritual conversations. See, without purposeful conversation, when we put this on the back burner, when we fail to do this, doubt gives way to spiritual death. When we don't have conversations about God, especially within the church, but also with non-believers, we begin to see these these seeds of doubt being sown that are allowed to be cultivated into these growing plants that produce fruit. And it's not the fruit that we want, it's the fruit that leads to spiritual death. And I want to let us all in on a secret. Spiritual conversations can be awkward. You can feel like you don't have the right things to say at time or that you don't know the perfect way to say something and that's okay like no one's expecting you to be the apostle paul like he's no one's expecting you to be like you foolish galatians or men of athens i can see that you are deeply religious no one's expecting you to be like the apostle paul they're expecting you to be you They're expecting you to be you and to have conversations just like you'd have any other conversation. Just like you'd talk about any other thing in your life that you like to talk about. They expect you to talk about it like that. So it's okay if it's awkward. It's okay if you don't get it perfect. It's okay if it feels a little weird. Just give it a shot. Give it a shot. Have these conversations. And what I want to encourage you to do is start by having spiritual conversations with the people around you that are following Christ. If we find ourselves being able to have spiritual conversations within the church with our brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, then it will be easier for us to begin to have spiritual conversations with others around us. The things that we, we love and the things that we like to talk about are typically the things that end up coming out of our mouths. And so as we practice within the church, as we cultivate these things within the church, it becomes easier to begin to have those conversations with people outside of the church. And number four, we must not change Christianity to our own liking. We must not change Christianity to our own liking. One of the things that's uh, emerged is that Christianity is just a, a personal faith. It's just about you and Jesus, but it's really not. While a personal faith is necessary for Christianity to exist, Christianity ultimately must be lived out in community and through the lens of historical orthodoxy. We can't make Jesus into what we want him to to be, uh, and we also can't just blindly follow tradition we know that we can't just blindly accept these things and be like okay i can't self-discover at all i can't explore these things i can't maybe uh figure out if this is what we really should believe because we know that that leads to this place of being like well well this is what i grew up on or this is what i was told to believe but i've never really done the work behind it on the other side of that if we just go to self-discovery And we just explore all the things at our our whim or whatever we want to explore, whatever we want to believe, without looking at tradition, without looking at historical orthodoxy. That also leads us to a place that really isn't that good. See, what we should be is we should be people that are informed by scripture first and foremost. We should look to the Bible, and if our beliefs are contrary to Scripture, then we should really reconsider those beliefs that we hold. If Scripture says something, then what we believe, then we should throw out those beliefs. But we're also informed by historical Christian confessions like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed that we should hold on to, that are ecumenical creeds that all denominations, if they're in the orthodox space of Christianity, ultimately believe. These are things that we should hold fast to. But there's also this this understanding that I want us to have that there are secondary issues. There are tertiary issues that we can hold different opinions on and not be outside of orthodoxy. That we can believe something different on some of these more inconsequential things and not be called a heretic or not question our faith or question if someone's really saved because they believe something different about the end times. Like, do you believe Jesus is coming back? Yes. Okay, cool. Then you're my brother and sister in Christ. Like, do you believe that he was resurrected from the dead? Cool. You're my brother and sister in Christ. Do you believe that it's by grace through faith that we are saved? Cool. You're my brother and sister in Christ. You don't believe in this certain thing that I think is important, but it hasn't been histo- important throughout the historical church. Then, OK, like then we can talk about it. But it's not something to, to disfellowship over or to say that heretic like those aren't things in, in order to do stuff like that. We should be people who explore these ideas. We should be people that explore historical orthodoxy. We should be people that want to read the the church fathers. I know that sounds nerdy. I know that sounds like it's something that that maybe just preachers should do, but if we are Christians, we should know what the church has historically taught. We should dive into theology. We should dive into these things, not because they're the scary discipline, not because I want to puff myself up or I want to have head knowledge, but because we need to explore these things. We all have stumbling blocks. We all have difficulties. We all have doubts. But if we will commit to exploring them and exploring them in a way that that builds up, not in this way that tries to deconstruct everything around us, but if we'll look to build ourselves up by exploring these things, we'll find ourselves with a richer faith in Christ. We'll find ourselves with a deeper relationship with Jesus. He never calls us to have blind faith. He never says that those who never doubt are the ones that are truly saved or the ones that are going to get the first place in heaven or going to get the little ribbon or the trophies in the resurrection. That's not what Jesus ever says in Scripture. In fact, we see people like the Bereans in the book of Acts, upon hearing about this Jesus, they go back and diligently study the Scriptures in order to see if it were true. And we talk about them like it's a good thing that they did that. See, we're presented with these ideas about Jesus. We're presented with this knowledge of the Son of God taking away the sins of the world. And we should be people that dive into that. We should be people that explore our doubts, that explore our stumbling blocks. We don't have to have blind faith. I want to leave us with some final thoughts this morning as I close. We don't have to oversimplify what we believe. We don't have to oversimplify and we shouldn't oversimplify what we believe. Christianity is supernatural. Christianity is radical. Christianity is countercultural. It's something that we should be upfront about. It's something that we should say that, yes, I believe in some crazy things. I believe in some radical things. I believe in some countercultural things. But I also believe that there's this man named Jesus that has taken away my sins, that has given me new life, and that if you would just know him, if you would just know him, if you would just experience him, I promise you everything would change for you as well. I promise you everything would change for you as well. When we do this, when we talk about Jesus like this, when we talk about Christianity like this, it it may lead to some stumbling blocks for some people. It may lead to some doubts for some people. But we shouldn't be afraid of that. We shouldn't feel like we have to talk about Christianity or or, or Jesus in these happy terms all the time or, or that, hey, this makes a lot of sense. Like We should be honest about, hey, we believe some radical things. We believe some supernatural things. We don't need to veil that. We don't need to hide that. We can be upfront about it. Because if we're upfront about it, maybe less people end up with that doubt. Mm -hmm. Maybe less people have this midlife in Christ crisis where they come to be like, oh, no. Like, can I really believe this? Can I really believe these things? Maybe if we're upfront at first, things will change a little bit. Maybe if we commit to diving into Scripture, maybe if we commit to diving into the Orthodox tradition, the historical tradition of Christianity, maybe we prevent some of those midlife-in-Christ crises. Finally, I want us to know is that stumbling blocks can be overcome by the grace of God. Stumbling blocks can be overcome by the grace of God and the patient diligence of the people of God exploring these things together. They're overcome by the grace of God. He meets us in our doubt. He meets us in our times of stumbling. And he also gives us the church to come alongside of us, to explore these things with us, to dive into scripture, to to dive into theology, to dive into historical orthodoxy. We shouldn't be afraid of these things. We shouldn't be afraid of any stumbling block. Rather, we should welcome them Because if we talk about them with honest and authentic conversations, then we'll find ourselves strengthened in Christ. We'll find ourselves strengthened in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your kindness. And I thank you for your great grace, God. I thank you that you meet us in the midst of our our doubts, of our struggles, of our stumbles. I thank you that you are a God who radically loves us, who doesn't wince at our doubts, who doesn't turn a blind eye to us when we have struggles or when we have these stumbling blocks, but that you meet us there. You meet us in our struggles. You meet us in our doubts. You welcome those things. Lord, I pray that for those of us in this room that may be struggling with something that you would meet us there that you would help us to not push those down or to hide them or to act like we have everything all figured out but instead that you would meet us in those places help us to explore those things help us to talk about them uh, among the body of Christ Lord and I pray that you would leave us with a faith that is stronger. A faith that that has stood up to those doubts. A faith that has stood up to the test that comes when these stumbling blocks emerge. And we love you. We praise you. It's in Christ's name that we pray.